This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. Before we, we, we read this text, right, one of the things that we've been, been doing is looking at the life of Jesus and the life of the believer as, we, as we're going into 2019 and we're thinking about how, how growth happens, right? So, there we go. So, one of the things that we pointed out last week, and again, so we're picking up from last week. And one thing we're, we're, we're looking at, how growth happens in the life of the believer, we said this is us, right? This is us. This is, this is who we are. This is where we find ourselves, at the ground where life meets us and it hits us, where everything, everyday life, um, um, meets us at and stuff, whether it's school, whether it's marriage, whether it's whatever it is, it meets us right here, and you hear God calling you higher. You hear God calling you to a higher place inside of him, and he's showing you these truths, and, 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 you're, and you're looking at where we need to be, and, and, and there's this higher place right here. No, it's, it's 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 sensitive to strong hands. So I gotta soften it up somewhere. There you go. All right, so this is us right here. And 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 the Lord is calling you higher, right? Then as the Lord is calling you higher, the way our mind typically goes is we start thinking about how do I get to that place, right? You're looking at where the Lord is calling you to go, and you start trying to map out what the steps I'm, I'm going to take to just get over here. And, and, and you start, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to work out, um, I'm going to do this, then I'm going to do that. And you start mapping out the ways that you're just going to get here and stuff, and you just want to get from point A to point B. And we start thinking about that. I just got to get over here. And, 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 and you find yourself at points where you feel like, man, but I'm not getting over there. And I'm not hitting it the way that the Lord is calling me to hit it. And you, and you find yourself at these, at these places. But that's not how growth happens. That's how man plans. But that's not how growth happens. See, real growth will take you from starting point and then bring you down. All right? This is how real growth happens, right? And... We've been looking at the life of Jesus and looking at how real growth happens in the believer. And growth will take you like this. All right? And, 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 and you go through these areas of life where there is trials and struggles and all these type of things. But it's a part of the growth that's taking that seed and bringing it lower. And then eventually it sprouts out. And it grows back up. But a lot of times we have a struggle with 
the growth process, yeah. right? So as we, as we look at this, one of the things that as you move into 2019 that we're really wanting us to look at is are we wanting to, to move our way up this year? Are we wanting to just kind of go into a better day and move our way up the ladder? Or are we willing to say, Jesus, I am coming to follow you? That this year our, our aim is not what is it, how, how can we get from point A to point B, but Lord, how can we enter into this death like yours so we can experience this resurrection like yours? That following Jesus is not like following the patterns of this world or religious steps, right? That we go, here's what God wants, and I want to get from A to B. I want to get better. I want to succeed, and I want to go up this ladder. But following Jesus is the shape of Jesus' life. That as a seed takes root into a soil, it dies. The seed must die for it to experience this. And that through life, we'll experience different ups and downs. But that we're experiencing this following Christ. And so as we walk with him, I want you to, to, to see what the danger is of having this kind of walk up the steps of life and kind of religious rules that we're to follow. The right. danger is we don't enter into the kind of relationship that we're called to. From the beginning, we're called to walk with God. And we hide from walking with Him. From the beginning, when we sinned, we separate. We, when He came to walk with us, we hid from Him. Jesus didn't come bringing a whole set of rules. He came and said, follow me. Walk with me. To walk with him through all of these kinds of places and to go into the desert and to go into all these, all these different places of life. It wasn't just this upward. It was entering into the death. They followed him and they got to experience this newness of life. And the people of God have walked this kind of path and that's why I think we, we need to hear that Scripture describes our relationship with God as a walk. Yeah, yeah. As a walk with Him. My, my question is, are we walking with Jesus? Are we walking with the person of Jesus? Because I, I think many of us, as we're trying to climb the ladder, wonder why God is not there with us. It's because we're trying to make Him follow our religious patterns, our patterns of success. And we're not following the person of Jesus. And so as we enter into this text today, I want us to remember that what Wayne and I are trying to do is, is, is trying to, to get us to look at Jesus pastoring his disciples into what this kind of life looks like. So let's stand together. We're going to read Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. The reason we stand is, is to respect God's word, to remember we're listening to his voice so let's open our ears to hear as we listen to Luke chapter 17, verses 1 through 10. And he said to his disciples, temptations to sin are sure to come, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better for him if a millstone were hung around his neck and he were cast into the sea than it would for that he should cause one of these little ones to sin. Pay attention to yourself. If your brother sins, rebuke him. If he repents, forgive him. And if he sins against you seven times in the day and turns to you seven times saying, I repent, you must forgive him. The apostles said to the Lord, increase our faith. And the Lord said, if you had faith like a grain of mustard seed, you would say to this mulberry tree, be uprooted and planted in the sea and it would obey you. 
Will any of you who has a servant plowing or keeping sheep say to him, Say, say, whenever you have come in the field, come at once and recline at the table. Will he not rather say, prepare supper for me and dress properly, serve me while I eat and drink, and after you will eat and drink? Does he thank the servant because he has done what he was commanded to do? You also, when you have done all you were commanded, say, we are unworthy servants. We have only done that which was our duty. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Amen. One of the things that we're looking at is we need revelation from God. Yes. We need to hear, hear God speak. See, the primary source of revelation is the word of God itself. Yes. The primary source, whether, whether you get visions or dreams, whatever it is, it needs to match up with the word of God. We need to hear God speaking. Yes. If it doesn't match up with the word of God, there's a disconnect somewhere along the line here. Right? But that's what we need, right? We, and we need Jesus to speak. And whenever you see Jesus speaking in Scripture, what he's doing is he's revealing to us his eyes and his heart on the situation. It's like, this is how I see it. And, 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 and this is the truth of the matter, right? And we need to see it how Jesus sees it. This is my heart. on the, This is how I feel. Like, we may see it a particular way, but how he sees it is truth. We may feel about it a particular way, but how he feels about it, his heart on it is true. So when he is revealing to us the word of God, he's revealing to us his eyes and his heart on the situation. Hallelujah. And we need to pray that the Lord will reveal his eyes and his heart to us. This is, as, we, as we're leading into 2019, we need to be like, Lord, reveal your heart to me. I know this is how I feel, and I know this is how I look. Reveal your eyes to me. And he's talking to them. He's talking to them. And one of the things he does is he reveals his eyes and his heart regarding sin amongst the family. Yes. That's one of the things he does here. And he says, listen, temptation to sin will surely come, right? Don't be confused. It's coming your direction. It'll happen. In 2 Corinthians 2 and 11, Paul says, like, don't let the enemy outwit us because we are aware of his schemes. So temptation to sin is surely sure to come, but he puts a greater emphasis on the one through whom the temptation comes. He put this greater emphasis, he said, but woe to the one through whom they come. It would be better if there was a millstone hung around his neck and he was tossed into the sea. Now, now, these are some strong words here. But as he's talking about this, here's what he says. He says, pay attention to yourselves. Uh, Somebody should have said, say that again. again. Uh, Here's what he said to them. Pay attention to yourselves. Hallelujah. See, because you yourself can be getting used by the enemy as a vessel to present temptation to your brother, to your sister, in one way or another. But a lot of times we don't see it. What if in 2019 we made up our minds that I'm going to pay more attention to myself, that I'm not used as a stumbling block, that I'm not used as a vehicle of temptation. I'm going to pay more attention to myself. This is what he said to them. Pay attention to yourself. He didn't say, pay attention to everybody else. He didn't say that. And this is his disciples that he's talking to. 
I don't, I don't want to be the one that's sowing discord in the body. I don't want to be the one that's causing separation. I don't want to be the one causing my, my brother or my sister to stumble and fall. And he reveals this. This is how he sees sin. It's going to come, but listen, pay attention to you. And then he reveals his eyes and his heart regarding confronting and forgiving. Like sin is going to happen. Confronting and forgiving is going to need to be happening too. Here's my heart on it. And he says, don't be so caught up being the one that needs to rebuke and needs to confront that you forget being the one that needs to forgive. Don't be so caught up. Like, I got, they just got to know, have a peace of my mind. They didn't even know this is the truth. I just got to hand it to them. They need to understand it. And he says, don't be so, he talks about it because confronting needs to happen. Rebuking needs to happen. That's how we grow as a body. Yes. It needs to happen. But when you are self-aware of your own sin, when you are aware of the log in your own eyes, it conditions how you rebuke and how you confront because you are self-aware. A lot of us go into this thing and we're not being self-aware or we are pretending. One or the other, like you know your sin is jacked up. We're just pretending like it's not so jacked up. Ah, and I just think about it just like just pastorally and as, as, we, as, we, as we move and how many times like what's needed inside of a family that's growing together is not just this, this, this hypercritical judgment as somebody outside of the family looking in on the family saying, look how they are. It can't happen like that because I guarantee you the same way how you can hurl things that direction, there's people on this direction saying they're hurling things and you're caught up inside of that too. But when we know one and we understand that we all need serious forgiveness and we're seriously broken, it humbles us and it brings us together in how we confront sin. is now cultured. We got to see his eyes and ears on these things. As we meditate on these things together, one of the things that we're trying to do is reflect on how does this apply pastorally to us, right? That, that as pastors, our, our concern is as Jesus is pastoring his disciples, it, it, it needs to be a burden upon us to say, how is it that we need to be discipled as, as the people of God through his word? And I would just cause us to ponder for a minute, how much are we aware of the log in our own eye more so than we are aware of the sins of others. Now, I would just say, as a pastor, that's a blind spot for us. There is constantly people who will come to us about others, but rarely come to us about the log in their own eye. There's a highly critical reality because here's the reason why. We are more aware of what we need from others than we are aware of the sin in our own hearts. And we're wondering, why does nobody ever meet our expectations? Why does nobody ever fulfill our desires? Why is it that nobody is able to do what we want? Why is no church perfect? What's, why is every place I go mess up? Why does this keep happening to me everywhere I go, every relationship I'm in, every place I'm at? Right, right. I'm constantly not getting what I need from that relationship. And what you're going to see as, you, as we dive into this time is that no relationship is built on the critical spirit. Right. 
that relationships are built on servitude and love for the other. So as we go into this year, what we're desiring to see is a continued increase of self-awareness and service. Because that's going to dive us deeper into what God's heart is, what God's heart is. And that's what he revealed to them. And what Revelation does, and I don't know about you, when you hear something God reveals, you feel completely weak to do it. (laughs) You feel completely weak. Isn't it amazing that most of your goals that you set, you go, I kind of, if I try hard enough, I might be able to get there. Mm -hmm. But when God reveals something, you can't do it. That's why we go away from, well, God, if you could help me with what I could do and just kind of give me more strength to do what I could already do in my own strength, I can't do what you're asking me to do. That's what the disciples feel. The minute he lays that revelation on them, they go, God, could you give me more faith? I love that there's an exclamation point after it. Give me more faith! You see, when God reveals something to us, it leads us to a desire for more, more faith. Now, I want you to see, Jesus is going to correct their prayer. Mm -hmm. And oftentimes, we are so concerned with praying what is right, we don't pray at all. We're like going, well, I need to know exactly how to pray. I need to know what to pray. I need to pray right. We're we're obsessed with praying right. Right, right. Disciples were not. They were in a dialogue with their, yeah. with their Savior, with their the discipler, their teacher. And so in that, they could yell out, increase our faith. There's nothing wrong with this prayer. It's the fact that they were praying and that in prayer, it's not just you saying the right thing. It's the ability to come to him and for him to speak back to you. You see, they were convinced they needed more. We're constantly convinced that we need more to accomplish what God wants us to do. How often do we find ourselves in this church saying, when I get more, I will follow you, Lord. The problem is you've been saying that for a while, and you've ended up in the places you said you would be, and you're still as disobedient as you were the last season. When I get that promotion, I'll obey. When I get that next job, I'll obey. When I get out of this bad relationship, I'll obey. And you're still not obeying. The reality is we find ourselves in places where we're constantly saying, when I get more, and Jesus is correcting this prayer by showing them it's not a reality of you needing more. It's something far deeper than this. Something far deeper than this. And and here's what I would challenge us with on this point. As we're talking about prayer this year, we're desiring for us to go deeper and deeper in prayer. For us to become a people of prayer, we've got to get into understanding that prayer is about hearing and listening, not about an exercise of you saying the right things or saying the wrong things. Because in prayer is where God is not just going to hear you, but he's going to teach you. He will hear you, but he's going to teach you. Your greatest lessons are going to come through the times of prayer, not just your greatest prayers. He's going to teach you 
what it means to deepen your walk with him. He's going to, in this walk with him, church, if we're going to enter into a time where we we just want to follow you, you better understand conversations are important when you're walking with somebody. Speaking to him, coming to him with your greatest fears and worries and anxieties and your needs, but opening your ears because he wants to say something to you, and this is what this exchange is. You don't hear Jesus go, oh, why would you say such a thing? No, he goes, let me teach you what faith actually is. They ask for more faith, and he goes, let me teach you what faith actually is. That's amazing. Like when you really think about it, right, and you're looking at these conversations that, that, they're, that, that they're having with their Lord, and it's like that, that's what prayer actually looks like. It's a conversation. And, and, and God will do that out. You'll go to God, Lord, this is what I want. Can you just do this for me? And, and the Lord turns around and says, let me explain to you what you're actually asking for, come on, right? Come on, come on. And, 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 and he opens up the reality of it, and, and he does that. He explains to them, here's the reality of faith, right? And, and he, he makes this example, and he says, faith is like a seed, right? And he uses this, this example of a mustard seed, and no matter how small a seed is, the DNA of everything that that seed will ever grow to be is wrapped up inside of it. Come on. I know, I, I've called you to do this big thing, but, but let me tell you about faith, right? And, and, and faith like a seed, and so and you, all throughout Scripture, you hear God always calling them into greater faith, you of little faith, greater faith. But all the time while he's calling them into greater faith, he's also calling them to walk in the little faith that you have, right? The problem is a lot of times, a lot of times, because we don't feel that we have enough faith to do what God has called us to do, we don't do nothing at all. And we don't exercise the little seed bit of faith that we have already. He calls us to walk with them. And we understand, like, just walking with them, the small seed-like faith, you walk with them and you watch it grow into the, the tree that it's meant to be. You watch it grow. He says, you could tell this mulberry bush to be uprooted and planted into the sea. And that's, that's crazy talk because it's like, look, this mulberry bush has roots Deep down in the ground, he said, it could be uprooted. So imagine him saying there are things inside of your life that when you are trusting God and you're walking inside, even that little seed-type faith, they can be uprooted. Mm. One of the problems is that when we do finally seek faith and we want faith, a lot of times we, we want faith for what we want to do. I have my dreams, and I have, have my aspirations, and I have my goals. And you're like, Lord, just give me the faith to do these things. And you want, you want the faith to do the things that you want to do. And it's this misplaced faith. What you should be saying is, Lord, what do you want? Not just saying, here's what I want to do. Lord, give me the faith. I'm just believing. The Bible said to just believe it and stuff. But, but where's your word at? What is your heart, Lord? What is your eyes? What is your desire? Yes. We need to have faith in the word of God, not our ability to accomplish it. Faith in his very word itself. You think about in Matthew when when, when Peter and them, they're on a boat and Jesus comes walking on the sea. And then they they see him walking. They're like, oh, my gosh. And then it gets close and they see that it's Jesus and and Jesus calls Peter out. And Peter's like, Lord, just say the word and I'll do it. 
He has faith inside of his word. And he, and he, he believes P- Jesus' word and he starts walking on the water. But the moment that he starts putting his faith and his ability to accomplish it, that's when he starts falling. You think about the centurion, the centurion who, who goes to Jesus and, and he says, can you heal my sick servant? And, 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 and he's, a, he's a Gentile, but he, he's heard of Jesus so much so he goes to Jesus and his servant is inside of his house. His servant is sick. He said, Jesus, can you heal my servant? And Jesus is like, yeah, bet. Let's go to your house. And the servant is like, I'm not even worthy for you to come to my house. But if you just say the word, if you just say the word, Man, and Jesus' response is like, that's it. That's faith right there. He says the word and the servant is healed. Our faith needs to be in his word, but here's the problem. You see, studying the word of God without practicing walking in the word of God doesn't grow into faith. It just grows into our knowledge of, of more knowledge. Or, or you have the flip side where it's like, oh, I have all these, these visions and dreams that I feel that the, the Lord is calling me to do, but I never connected to Scripture. So, 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 so I feel like I'm growing in Him because I'm just doing these things. But you're not growing in faith. You're growing in self. It needs to be rooted inside of His Word. Our faith has to be His Word. So it's crazy that when He asks for faith, He says, well, this is what faith looks like and what it is and what it produces. Yes. You see, faith is so deeply rooted in God's word. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. If we want to have faith, we need to be better listeners, right? Not better speakers. So when somebody says you speak, name it, claim it, blab it, grab it, that's faith. No, it's listen and do. Listen, be slow to speak and quick to listen. We need his word, church. And in order for us to hear his word, we need to hear what his voice sounds like. Church, he goes into a parable of, of a, that is him trying to explain to us what faith is. And I want you to look at a few things here. First is, he starts this parable with say, with, will any of you who has a servant... Will any of you who has a servant? So he's telling this parable from a master's perspective, not from a servant's perspective. Many of the parables are told from a servant's point of view. But this one is told from a master's perspective. Mm -hmm. And the reason why is in order for us to know God's voice, we have to see that it's being spoken from the perspective of God. The master, who is God. See, often we want one who sees things from our perspective. And never mind that God says that we have a God who is acquainted with our sufferings and our perspective and our pain and our agony. We have one who has come and become like us and knows all things about us. But we want one who knows things from our perspective. We are more concerned with our perspective and people knowing our perspective than we are in knowing God's perspective. So for us to know his voice, we have to be in, we have to see if any of you have a, a servant, he's speaking from the perspective of a master. We can only we can't only think from our perspective. 
We have to want to see it from his, which is why it's so important for us to, to get into grand narratives and big story, creation, fall, redemption, resurrection, and that we should zoom out, if you will, or, or ask God to give us this grand big perspective that the same God who has been working throughout all time is at work now. Because in our lives, we can get very narrow perspectives. Can you say amen? You all are quiet with me today. Wayne's the only one amening me. Jeanette, where are you at? You're supposed to be helping me out. Y'all get quiet. But here's the thing. We have to see, amen, we have to see, we have to see that our biggest struggle often is that we're so rooted in our perspective that we do not see the perspective of our God. We would much rather only see what we see, but the problem, we, we are drowning in what we see. Faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. We walk by faith and not by what? Sight. Our sight, our perspective is often drowning out God's voice. So he tells it from the master's perspective, and then he says something else that I want you to see. He says, if any of you have a servant, whether they're plowing or keeping sheep, right? It didn't matter the task. Plowing, keeping sheep, you say to him when he has come in from the field. We are so concerned with what is it that you want me to do? And the master doesn't even make the issue of the what. He's going after something much deeper here. It's not just about plowing. It's not just about keeping sheep. It's not about what we're doing. We're often going, God, what is it you want me to do? That's it. That's it. We are concerned that we're doing the wrong thing all the time. Give me, what is it you want me to do? God, just tell me what to do. And he's going, I'm going after your heart. Because right? if I can get your heart, it controls your actions. Oh, come on. Whatever the part is that we play, although it is, it's, it's used by God for his glory, what he's after is our hearts, church. The task did not matter in this parable. It was the heart. What is the heart that he's after? It's this heart of a servant. Because here's what the heart of a servant says. The master will say, would, 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 would the master say rather uh, come in at once and recline at the table? Or, or would a master rather say to him, prepare supper for him and dress properly and serve me while I eat and drink, right? Because he's going, here's the servants, here's, here's one person. No, this perspective, no. Or would a master rather say this? So here's what he's saying. If you're in this perspective, you say this. But the master's perspective is come in and serve, prepare, dress properly, Serve and eat and drink, and afterwards you would eat. And does he thank him? Another question for what he's done. No, so when you have done what you have been commanded to do, say, I'm an unprofitable servant. Church, as we come into a text like this, my prayer is that God will lift up our eyes to see that often what we're concerned about is what is it we should do or what is it we want to do, and God is after our hearts. There is a deeper place within us where we are saying, I am more concerned not with what I would want or what makes me comfortable, but I am more concerned with what is it that he wants for me? What does his word say? And that we will slow down to listen, that we'll want to obey, that we are his servants. That's, that's, that's why it's so important. Like If you find yourself at that place where you're like, 
well, I'm doing all the right things, and I'm checking off my list, and things, and it's like that because God is after something way more than whether or not you, you can check off your list. I did this, then I did that. All right, what do you want? I did this, I did that. He's talking to them, and he's he's literally revealing to them. Here's the heart that you should have, yeah. right? Here's how you should be walking through this thing. He leads them. He goes from his, from a master's perspective, and he shows them the servant perspective. And it's crazy. He says here in A, he says, prepare supper for me. Dress properly. Serve me while I eat, drink, and afterwards you will eat and drink. And, 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 and these things just stand out when I read it. He says, he says, prepare. And it's not just jumping in and doing. It's so much more than just saying, I did it, I did it. He says, prepare. Like, we have to prepare our hearts to serve God. Ah, come on. Hallelujah. It's for him. And, and even, and, and when I say to serve God, listen, all of us are servants. Yes. Right? All of us are called to serve him. Right? And even inside of that. We need to do this knowing that when we serve others, we are preparing their hearts and their minds for the Lord. When we're doing that, it's their joy is for the Lord. This experience is for the Lord. When, when, when you go, when you serve them, you're kind and you, you pick up the phone and you call whatever it is that the Lord leads you to do, yes. that experience and how they feel is for the Lord. Yes. Not just for you. So part of this preparing is preparing also their hearts for the Lord. It's like preparing a tasty supper for our king. And that supper is their heart and their joy. We got to see that. Many of us see work and we, and, we, and we see just who we, like the person that we're serving, and we don't see the person that we're serving for. We see ourselves and our work ethics more than Jesus indulging in their joy. So he says, prepare, they just dress properly, and that stands out to me. Dress properly. Why does he, he say that? Like, what is proper clothing and serve, for, for serving the Lord? Now, think in Scripture how so many times the posture of heart is, disclo- is described as, as clothing. It says, put on a garment of praise. So many times, and he gives this, this example or, or, or humility, right, a posture of heart. And he gives this example of a master having a conversation with his servants and telling his servants to prepare supper for him. And then in verse 10, he says, you're like the servant. He's very, very literal. That's you. And literally describes what proper clothing is by telling them what the posture of their hearts should lead them to say. Right, right, right. The posture of your heart, and this will lead you to say, we are unworthy servants, and we have only done what was our duty. So that garment, this this proper clothing looks like a heart of humility, a heart of repentance, a heart of forgiveness. This is what should, should clothe us as we serve, unworthy servants. Just the reality that even, like, I'm unworthy to be called to serve him, much less actually serve him. But yet still he, he calls me. He knows the depth of my heart. He knows things, sins that are seen and sins that are concealed. He knows all these things and yet calls me to serve him. Hallelujah. All these different areas of our hearts and yet he calls us to be the hands and, 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 the, and the feet of his body. And this reality shapes us in a humility. And he says, serve me now. Yes. Serve me. 
And with this, all of this in mind, knowing all this, it leads us to, to go the extra mile. Because we want to get to the point where we say, like, but I've done enough. And what, when, do I get to recline at the table now? Look at all the work that I've done. And then, but that humility and that garment leads you to go the extra mile. It leads you out of comfort into conviction. My Lord has called me to do this. Yes. Hallelujah. It's worship. Worship in our great king. Not sitting back and saying, when are you going to say thanks? Look at all the things that I did. Wow. Wow. When are you going to turn around and tell me, good job? And then all this, like, keep serving, please. Do the things I've called you to do. And this is what he calls us into is a posture of serving. That's good. Church, this year, um, one of the things that we have noticed that God has, you know, given us eyes to see in our own hearts as we become self-aware in the hearts of this community, one thing that we want to join together in prayer in is that the equity of a real relationship is service. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We are more concerned with finding right relationships, meaning we're constantly trying to find the right person rather than be the right person. Mm -hmm. We're constantly trying to find the right church rather than being the right church. You see, the reality of this is there's a continued when you're paying attention to yourself, your heart is to serve the other, right? Outdo one another in showing honor, right? This, this reality of when we are in places where we're highly critical, I, I, I can tell you there's not one good relationship where somebody's deeply critical all the time. It's two outserving one another. Yes. It's this reality of the giving of self. And yes. this reality is when we take the position of the servant mm-hmm. over and over and over and over and over again, we understand that the equity of every good relationship mm-hmm. is service, not self. Mm-hmm. This is hard for us to swallow because I, I, I think what we've done is created a gospel in which we know how much Jesus has served us, it's hard for us to hear that we need to serve Jesus. But, but I will tell you this. You won't know a true relationship until you know that the one who has served you has created you to serve him because that's real covenant. And you won't know what a healthy relationship with Jesus looks like if you are just saying Serve me, serve me, serve me, serve me, serve me. That's not a healthy relationship. You see, the reality of this is, I want you to see, when you hear your relationship with Jesus described as a master and servant relationship, you can get hung up because you're going, oh, see, I knew it. God just wants me to do stuff and work hard and work really hard and just listen. He just wants me to do this and do this and do this and I'm never doing enough and I'm not following. You see, that whole argument breaks down when you understand that the master in which you serve can never be outserved. Never. He can never be outserved. The master in which you serve came and served us all the way to the point of death. Come on. Come 
all the way to the point of death. He emptied himself. He, he gave himself all the way to that the master in which we serve can never be outserved. And so if it is a competition of who can outserve, he, he has definitely outserved us. He has given his life. He has shown us what true service. If you want to be great in his kingdom, you've got to be a servant of all. And no one is going to be greater than our king who has outserved all of us. There is not one of us in this place who could accurately uh, critique our God and say, you haven't served me enough. Because the reality is, we have been shown the greatest service of all. And that is why when he says, go change your garments, go prepare a table, and after I eat and drink, you will eat and drink, is what he says. Should remind us of communion. That we cannot eat and drink until he went and gave of himself that we could sit at the table with him. And after he had taken on our sufferings and pain and agony, after he had sat at the table of suffering and pain, after he had done the work, we could come and dine with him. But I'm going to tell you this. We are not going to know a true relationship with Jesus by just entering into it by saying, yeah, serve me, 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 because he's done that. If you want a true covenant relationship with Jesus, it's coming in by saying, I'm going to serve you with all of my heart and all of my soul and all of my mind and all of my strength, I'm going to serve you because I can never outserve the one who has served me. See, the church comes to the table not as slaves, but as children. The church comes to the table as worshipers of the one who has fully served us. The church comes to the table with this in their mouth. Don't thank me. I did nothing. You don't hear any servant saying that, right? Most people who think they're slaves go around, I do everything, they never do anything. We can't say that with our God. The reality is, when we get to the end of the day and we've done all that we've been told to do, we, we know we don't deserve any thanks. Because we've only done what it is that our God has told us to do. Church, Jesus turns this master-servant relationship upside down. We can't even recognize it because this master has so served us that he shows us not just what it's like to be served, he shows us what it's like to serve. We didn't know what it was like to serve before he showed us what service was. And that's when we see this real service. When we come to this table and we are so served, our hearts should not just be, all right, I need more. We're going, you've done it all. Now it's, let me serve with this heart that you've given to me. Let me live in such a way where my life is yours because that's the essence of real covenant to serving one another. True living in this covenant relationship. Because we are in a covenant with him, we come to the table and dine with him. Knowing we have been served. 
and at the same time dedicating our whole hearts to his service, to following him, to hearing his voice. So church, as we come to the table today and we sing and worship and we pray together, let's remember how deeply we've been served, that there is nothing we could do that could outpay or outdo what God has done for us. The tables are open. Let's pray. Let's commune. Let's worship together. Come and receive. This podcast was recorded at Redemption Alhambra Village in Phoenix, Arizona. For more information about Redemption Alhambra Village, visit redemptionaz.com. 